Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where we never lie to our listeners about reading. I'm Meredith. I'm Susan. I'm Jeanette. And how are you lovely ladies today? Oh, it's been a week. I'm looking at the dock and you guys had such good weeks and I'm just like, I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Husband was out of town all week um, for work, so I had both kids... Um, in the afternoon, <laughs> which was so exhausting. Um, so, so husband knows you have vacation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be getting vacation in a couple weeks once Anna starts daycare. So, awesome. I'm gonna take oh, some okay. me time before I go back to work. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, things are starting to get better though. She's Anna's getting out of the infant stage and sleeping better. So, things are starting to look up very slowly. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Sleep is a good thing. Oh, no kidding. I get three hours. I'm like, yes! Oh, man. <laughs> yep. Oh, goodness. goodness. So what about, how are you doing, Jeanette? I am doing great. I haven't had um, grad school classes this week, so I've had more reading time, more resting time, and it's definitely spring. It's been like in the 70s all week long here. It's been gorgeous. Yes, it's been awesome. Yes. And in D.C., that means that cherry blossoms and kite festivals are coming in the next few weeks, and I'm so excited. I love kite festivals, so... Yeah, it's a really great time of the year. And uh, obviously, I'm in the D.C. area, too. So, yay, warmer weather. I'm so excited. Yes. We can go to a kite festival together. How about that? Yes. <laughs> Let's always want to go. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing really well, too. Uh, I've got a wedding that I'm attending in a few weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, I must say, Jeanette, I, um, I might have a problem. And you may be the reason. Um, <laughs> what? Bookbub has <laughs> kind of taken over my life, at least during my lunch hours now, because I get the email right around lunchtime. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I read through it and I'm researching each book. And then I go on to Goodreads to see, you know, how it's rated. And then I debate whether I want to spend, you know, 99 cents to $2 on it. Well, or isn't I'll that check the problem? Over- it's so cheap. I know. I know. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I can get it. It's no big deal if I hate it. <laughs> yeah, well, and some... Some, some of them are free. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. how do I not get a free book? Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, we, um, I got this kid's book for like 99 cents or something. And like, oh, this is like about animals because it's called Zoo Day. And Emily would like this. So like, I'm like, Emily, you want to read a good, you know, new book? And she says, yes, I open it. And it's like the writing is so terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> and she loves to read this book. <laughs> Of course. course. (laughs) Like, I don't want to read this book to you. It's awful. (laughs) I've had to start doing this thing where, like, I only buy books if they're on my to-read list. And then that was working really well. And then all these books from my to-read list started showing up. So now I'm, like, saving them. And I'm like, okay, I'll wait till the weekend. And then I'll, like, budget. Like, can I I fit, like, 10 $2 books into my budget? Which, you know, (laughs) usually you can fit at least some of them. Sure. But yeah, yeah, see, see, that's my problem. I think only one of them I've gotten is actually on my to read list. I'm just like, oh, this sounds interesting. Oh, uh-huh. sure. Oh, this is the first book in a fantasy series that has 10 <laughs> books. Why not? So, sometimes the titles are so irresistible. The, there was one the other day that was called Love and Lattes and Mutants. And I was like, <gasps> oh, my gosh, that sounds hilarious. Oh, my gosh, that sounds wonderful. Doesn't it? Yeah. I resisted that one. But, oh, man. Oh, man, it was close call. I'm going to have to, like, <laughs> put that on my Goodreads list to see see if how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's just, just such a great title. It's about, a, I think it was about, like, a girl, 
like a teenage girl who's half dolphin or something like that. What? Yes, it was. I do remember seeing that when I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm so not weird. sure. <laughs> I, I, just because of the title, somebody has to read it and tell me about it. Sure. Like, I, I insist. So, <laughs> listeners out there who want to do us a favor. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it won't be me, so. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, on that note, with you know talking about BookBub because it's just an addicting website <laughs> or actual <laughs> newsletter, um, what are you guys reading right now? Well, I am reading Scarlet by Marissa Meyer, which I've been reading since the start of Book Bingo. Um, so I've been reading it for a very long time, but I love this series. I have to get through it. Um, and the other thing I've been reading is Career of Evil by Robert Galbraith, which is J.K. Rowling's. Ooh. Mystery series. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and I'm enjoying that, but it is super, super creepy. Yeah, well, it's oh. an interesting title. Yeah, well, the, in this one, like, I don't know if you've read her other um, Robert Galbraith books, but they're no. all about Cormoran Strike, mm-hmm. this private detective. And in this one, he kind of has to explore people from his past that he's, I guess, made enemies of by trying to bring them to justice in different mm-hmm. ways. And so you get a lot more history of his background. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm but not into, it's really creepy. Yeah, I'm not into mysteries, so I haven't really picked it up. It does yeah. sound pretty interesting, though. Mm-hmm. I love mysteries, so this right. combines, like, all my favorite things. <laughs> and, uh, yes, speaking of, I guess, J.K. Rowling and Robert Galbraith, did you guys see the article about uh, there was a Scottish library book club that was reading, I guess, this latest Robert Galbraith. So they invited J.K. Rowling to their meeting, and she showed up. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find the article for you guys. But I remember reading it, I think it was earlier this week, and it was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. They were, were like, talking to her over Twitter, and they're like, we'll have cake. (laughs) And and she came. That that was it. It was the cake. (laughs) It was the cake. If we have cake and invite her to a podcast recording, you think J.K. Rowling will show up? Well, maybe. That'd be awesome. You know, fly over from Scotland. And- yeah. Well, you know, she happens to be in the U.S. anyway. She might be. Listen, she, I'm pretty sure she hasn't visited Denver yet, so she can totally come here. <laughs> <laughs> you can show her around. Exactly. <laughs> Weekend podcasting trip to Denver. Exactly. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so what are you reading, Meredith? I've got a couple of things that I'm reading right now. I'm reading A Gathering of Shadows by V.E. Schwab, which is uh, the second book in, I guess, what will be the trilogy. Um, a Darker Shade of Magic was the first book that came out last year that I read in December. Uh, so I don't really want to give anything away, but this it, this pretty much picks up four months after the last book ended. So not a whole lot of time has passed, and uh, you get to kind of see where the characters are right now and what's happening and I'm about halfway through and things uh, are about to get very interesting so I'm excited to see where this book goes and I'm also reading The Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England, a handbook for visitors to the 14th century Such a long title <laughs> Yeah, uh, Such by, a great title It yeah. is a great title, yeah it is long but uh, and that's by Ian Mortimer and so this is one of my uh, nonfiction picks for the year, since I'm trying to read more nonfiction. And I'm, I'm really only in the first chapter, so I can't speak too much to it. But uh, right now it's super descriptive, which is nice. It's, it's painting a really interesting picture. Right now he's pretty much explaining 
how a medieval city is set up. And he's kind of doing it as if, you know, as if you were a time traveler and you're there. And he's like, so as you see, as we're walking down this road, you notice that there's some really like big fancy houses to this side. And that's where the wealthy merchants live. And the not so wealthy merchants, you know, live in these townhouses where their shops are on the first level and they live above it. And and so it's it's interesting. It's, it's cool to have it be really descriptive. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. That's hmm. so cool. interesting. I'm really looking forward to picking that up one day. I saw it on your Goodreads, and I was like, oh, man, I got to add it. And then when I went to add it, I saw that um, Ian Mortimer has written another one. That's The Time Traveler's Guide to Elizabethan England. Yes. So, uh, like, there's another one that I'm going to have to pick up. So you're just adding more books to my to-read list. So thanks, Meredith. Well, you know, it's (laughs) only fair because you turned me on to BookBub, so. Okay, that is fair. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Susan? What are you reading? Um, well, I'm reading Anna Karenina because I did not finish it. Um, I am a fifth of the way through, so that's something. <laughs> that's like a real, a regular book. <laughs> um, and But I'm also reading Winnie the Pooh, um, which is hilarious so because sweet. I love Winnie the Pooh, but I don't think I've ever read the books themselves. That's interesting. Yeah, because like, you know, for Emily, when she was born, I got her little um, Winnie the Pooh doll to for her to sleep with when she was old enough um and like we've seen the song and all that stuff but i never actually read the book so david got it for me for valentine's day he got me a few books and uh, winnie the pooh is one of them so i'm going through that right now it's pretty much all my brain can take if i'm reading in the middle of the night (laughs) oh yeah so yeah Anna Karenina is a, it's a little uh, a little heavy to be reading in between feeding sessions oh man i try because i'll like read you know and Anna's nursing, and it's just, I would fall asleep. <laughs> and then Winnie the Pooh is just simpler, you know? And yeah. then if I don't have the brain capacity at all, I've been watching Gilmore Girls, so <laughs> I'm just filling That's my fair. time. <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, what my brain can take that time. <laughs> um, so, anyways, speaking of Anna Karenina, since I'm still reading it, um, we came across this article. I think, Meredith, you shared it. Mm hmm. Um, it is books people have pretended to read. This is such a hot topic because everybody does it. Oh, no. Well, almost we, everybody. We would never lie about what we've read. <laughs> almost wouldn't. everybody. I feel like, like me personally, I just don't say anything if I haven't read the book. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm lying by omission. <laughs> I'll um, let you assume that I've read it. and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's a really interesting article. We will share it in the show notes and um it's the top 20 books and some of them i was surprised some of them i was not surprised about the books um but first um how many guys have you how many books have you guys read in the list uh of the 20 i've read 13 of them nice i've read 14 of them now that i've read anna karenina right (laughs) Oh, shoot. I don't know if I counted Anna Karenina. I think I did. So I read 12 um, since I'm going through it. Um, so we we all gone through more than half of the list, which is yeah. awesome for us. <laughs> Go us. Yay. Because you know, their stats, they say, um, let's see, they surveyed 2,000 Britons and one in four bluff about reading a classic, especially when it becomes adapted into a TV show or movie. Um. Which is interesting, and I'm not at all surprised because here it says it's because they don't, you know, they don't want to miss out and they want to sound 
more intelligent, which everybody wants to sound more intelligent, you know? <laughs> sure. And yeah, you want to be a part of the conversation, mm-hmm. especially, yeah, once it comes out of the TV, you know, like a, I think, what was it? One of these was coming out, and I think that's kind of what sparked them to do this. I think it was War and Peace. They were doing like a TV series, or yeah, they're doing like, like a, a mini series or something. Yeah, okay. there we go. Yeah, with Lily Lily James. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that is one I have not read, and I will probably be waiting a few years before I do another Tolstoy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. <laughs> I'm gonna wait till I have some time on my hands. Yeah, might that's... be a while. I think that's when, when do you ever have time on your hands? Yeah. I'm, once I finish these classes, maybe I will have like a month on my hands. How about that? <laughs> well, there you go. Unless like you start planning vacations and things. <laughs> well, that's a perfect time to read. What do you guys do on vacations? <laughs> well, I can't read anymore when I'm on vacation. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got little ones to supervise. <laughs> yep. So there goes my time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... War and Peace, I'm, I'll probably put off for a little while. But it surprises me in a way that people would pretend to read something like War and Peace because, mm-hmm. like, you can't exactly bluff that. It's another dense book. Yes. Yeah. Like, definitely. you kind of have to nod and smile a lot, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, definitely. were you too surprised at what was the number one most lied about book? Yes. A little I thought it, bit. I thought it was interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. So for those of you who haven't pulled up the article yet, uh, the number one uh, most lied about book, I guess, by these Britons that were, you know, uh, surveyed was Alice, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy to me in a way because it is so famous and it's so short and it's kind of a children's book in a, a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, there's and maybe, some stuff that can be interpreted adultly, but... Maybe right, it's but I just think, that so many people have just seen all the different adaptations. Adaptation, oh, good grief. I can't speak this morning. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Yes. All the different versions um, <laughs> that they just haven't ever gotten around to actually picking up the book. But yeah, That's but it seems true. like it's something that you would just read as a child, but maybe not. No, I actually haven't read Alice when I was a kid. Um I had the, the videotape of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Disney? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but then when I was older, I don't know, a few years ago, maybe a decade ago, I was older, at least college, and I finally got down and read it. And it's like, this is kind of a bizarre book. I can see why people won't read it, you know? Yeah. Well, I remember, like, when I was a kid, I had, like, these books that were, like, they were, they were like, those lit books you get in school where they, like, put portions of like, stories in, and sometimes they put in a whole story or whatever. So I had always known that I'd read at least part of it, if not mm-hmm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But then, like, when I got older, my brother was kind of, like, really into Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, so he bought the book and he read it, and he lent it to me. And I found out that I had read the whole thing, and I thought I'd only read, like, part of it up to that point. Wow, I see. Yeah. Did anything, so, any other books surprise you for being on the list? Um... um. Harry Potter surprised me a little bit. I know mm-hmm. you guys were saying that that surprised you too. Yes, yeah. because there are like very vocal anti Harry Potter people out there. You know, I'm never going to read Harry Potter. Oh, it sucks. Which is fine. You're entitled to your opinion. You know, right? So I would. I'm surprised that some people would lie about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, me too. And especially because, for example, my husband, you know, forgive him, listeners, but he hasn't read the Harry Potter series. <laughs> and he, yeah, I tisk, know. Tisk. I'm working on him. He's in book two right now. 
good. <laughs> so he he started the series. Well, yeah, something. he he had to. He promised when we got engaged that he would read it for me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, after we were married, he promised, and he read the first book so far. And he actually was reading the second book a little bit last night. Mm-hmm. But anyways, but he was like his running joke is like, well, why should I read some of these books? Because there's a movie version, Ugh. and like because the books are different from the movies. Yep. Generally speaking, books are different from movies. And there's yep. just so much more to them that they just can't fit in movies. Exactly. But, yeah. right. but that's how a lot of people feel. Like, he's not the only person I've heard say, you know, why should I read Harry Potter when there's eight movies? Right. Like, I can just watch the eight movies. Yeah, I mean, you get a totally different experience, which is why, like, I just kind of separate the movies and the books. Like, to me, they're just two different worlds. They exactly. are. That's yeah. exactly how I see them. Mm-hmm. And you just, yeah, you just have to accept that. Um, yep. And that's, I guess, you know, and that's... So it makes sense. Number number three on the list is uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, yeah. right. which I guess also makes sense because the movies were so big. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also makes it's me so sad detailed. because they're really good. And, yeah, it yeah. Is. Uh, yeah. But I can see those books being overwhelming for people because they are very long and very detailed. I mean, right. and the movies are long and detailed and the books are even more so. Mm-hmm. This this is true. Yeah, and his writing isn't like the easiest. <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> to read because he, you know, he's not like a writer. <laughs> like he was just yeah. writing a story, creating this world for you know these elvish languages he created. So, yeah, um, yeah, but you can always just kind of skim over all the songs. And yes, <laughs> I I have to say and I the did tree that. Descriptions. <laughs> I have to say I did that. I'm like, okay, Tolkien, I kind of want to get to the story again. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the story time. is good, but mm-hmm. yeah, he just has so much world building that he does. Yep. Yeah, which I which makes it you know interesting. But mm-hmm. yeah, yep. And, and then I feel like there's there's definitely a section of this list that's um, books that were assigned in school that no one finished <laughs> and pretended to read. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of um, Dickens on this list. There which is. <laughs> really oh, suggests. Oliver to me Twist school. and Great Expectations are such good books. I do like Great Expectations. I like I that book a lot. I did like Great Expectations, but I ha- I've only read like two or three Dickens books total in my life. I did, yeah, I've never lied about reading him, but. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I haven't read Oliver Twist or David Copperfield. Yeah, me neither. Um, but then Oliver Twist is great. You should read it. It's yeah. on my list. <laughs> but then there's like Great Gatsby, Catch-22, Catcher in the Rye. I mean, I've read those in high school. Like, you mm-hmm. had to read it. <laughs> right. <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> See, I didn't have – To Kill a Mockingbird, I did have to read for school. I read that in like seventh or eighth grade. Mm-hmm. But the other three, I didn't have to read in school because oh, I went to school out of the country. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So those I read actually at recommendation – I think Great Gatsby, I read at somebody else's recommendation. Catch-22, I read for book club. Mm-hmm. And Catcher in the Rye, I just found it in the library in my high school. It wasn't a sign, but I just found it in the library, so I read it. Right. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I guess plays don't count as books, but I was kind of expecting that. Yeah, I was just know? thinking that it's interesting that Shakespeare's not on here. Mm-hmm. Like, I would think Shakespeare would be on here like Julius Caesar and like the other plays. Romeo and Juliet, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true, I guess. Yeah, I don't know how they <laughs> kind of separated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, like I said earlier, I kind of, I didn't lie about reading a book, but I just didn't, you know, say anything. Did you guys ever lie about reading a book? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Out with it, Mayor. <laughs> I feel like, um, good grief, I'm 
aging myself here, but you know, back in the <laughs> 90s when AOL chat rooms were like the big thing mm-hmm. when we were like in middle school, you know, chatting with random strangers all over the world, which nowadays I'm like, gosh, my parents really had no idea what we were doing on the internet. <laughs> yeah, it was so new, you know? <laughs> uh, and the funny definitely... thing is, like, if they had, what would they have found? You talking about books. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> seriously, it was pretty innocent. But yeah, you know, getting into conversations, pretending I was much older than I was with these adults talking about these classics. And um, I was pretty much just going off of my knowledge of Wishbone episodes. <laughs> nice. I love Which Wishbone. Which I think, you know, I think that counts as reading the book, right? It's close enough. <laughs> well, it, 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 Wishbone did such a good job summarizing, you know? Yeah, because I definitely think one of the books I was talking to somebody about was The Count of Monte Cristo, which yeah. definitely was a Wishbone episode. So mm-hmm. yeah. I yep, just, I, I just ran with it. And <laughs> apparently I sounded like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Uh, but since I, since I've gotten older, I feel like the only the only two books I did not finish reading in high school because I I loved English class, and you know I loved reading. Um, it just I think it was senior year and everything was just getting really overwhelming. And the two books I didn't finish were The Scarlet Letter and Hamlet. I just ran out of time before the assignments were due, so I kind of had to probably spark note the very end of both and kind of wing it to uh, you know get good grades, I guess. But I swear, freaking karma. What what two books were due in the same semester, sophomore year of college? You guessed it, The Scarlet Letter and Hamlet. Oh, man. So I did finish them that time. I was like, really? The only two books. Okay. They knew. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Jeanette? Um, I don't think I've ever lied necessarily, but mm-hmm. I, by, like omission, <laughs> by omission, I may not have admitted that I didn't read or finish reading something for a class. So like I would have had to take a test, or write a paper on it or a book report, and I hadn't exactly read it. Um, this would happen particularly in college. I took a couple of um, classes and there was one where towards the end of the semester, I was like not able to keep up. And I was like, I'm going to have to do a presentation on this and write a paper on this. And yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, college. Those a little bit. <laughs> but, um, an important yes. lesson you learn in college, you know, but make in it fairness, you make it pretty much. Yeah. In fairness, like I really did want to read the books. So like I kept them after class and I, I probably still have them. And I have started going back and reading things that I didn't finish or didn't read. Yeah, that's true. I was kind of in the same boat. The, the only one that comes to mind in college that I didn't get to finish before the test or the paper or whatever was The Mill on the Floss by George Eliot, which I remember really enjoying. It was just such a big book. And obviously, when you're an English major, you're reading so many books for so many different classes. Right. I just didn't get to finish it. And I mean, I think I still got a pretty good grade, but we were definitely discussing stuff. And then they, I think they were, they were like talking about a flood. And I was like, there was a flood? <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, the flood. Of course, the flood. Right. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's still sitting on my bookshelf. Of course, at this point, I'd have to start all over because yeah. I don't right. even remember. But yeah. Well, I- yeah, I always felt I, guilty when I didn't finish a book. Yeah, same here. And that's why I, like, kept them. 
But I definitely remember like a similar situation where I was like supposed to do like a presentation in class or lead a class discussion. And I had only read like every other chapter of the book. So like I clearly <laughs> didn't know what I was talking about. And people in the discussion were like staring at me like I had two heads. Aww. And I was like, okay, so what do you guys think of this thing that happened? Come on, guys. Save me. <laughs> Help me out. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I do. I do feel bad. I just, I couldn't keep up. They they do schlep on a lot of reading sometimes. I think too much. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so why don't we go into more in-depth discussion for one of the books? <laughs> one of the <laughs> books that we have read? That we have read, but others have lied about. Hmm. That, that's fair. Yeah, I think we all get gold stars. Well, Susan, you get your gold star when you finish. Yes, but. yes. You get one. I'll, I was gonna say I'll get half a star. Well, I'll get a I'll get a point because you know yeah. I'm fifth of the way through. <laughs> you get like a little branch of a star. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, because yes, of course, this month was Anna Karenina, which is the number five most lied about book on our list. <laughs> and in Anna Karenina, I actually didn't know what it was about when I started it, other Ooh, than same. Anna had an affair. So here's a little summary for those of you who were like me. So in Anna Karenina, Anna, who is a seemingly perfect political wife, falls in love with Vronsky, who is a possibly somewhat sketchy military man. We're kind of going to talk about that. So they embark on an affair which disrupts their social circle, their families, and their own roles within those families and society. And at the same time, Levin, who is Tolstoy's surrogate within the novel, he is madly in love with Kitty, and amid many ponderings, many, many, many ponderings, about agriculture, society, politics, and philosophy, he moodily attempts to win Kitty's hand in marriage and start a family life with her. So, what was one thing that stood out to you in this book? I would say that the writing, while dense, wasn't as dry as I thought it was going to be. Mm. If if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, other than, yeah, some of the long tirades on farming and agriculture <laughs> and politics, you know, while I might have not found that particularly interesting, the writing itself was easy to read. And I think the characters were really interesting. Uh, so I, I found myself highlighting a lot of different passages just because I liked the writing or, you know, something the character said was really interesting or insightful or funny. So I was happy about that. Yeah, I was not expecting it to be as amusing as it was in the beginning. It's like, this is kind of funny because he's basically making fun of these people of society, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the writing was definitely shocking. I, th I thought it was going to be a little more flowy, flowery. Mm -hmm. long run-on sentences, but it isn't. It's like a lot of short staccato sentences. So that was, that was that's nice because it makes reading nicer, <laughs> mm -hmm. a little bearable. Yeah, I agree. Like the writing was really, it was just so interesting. It was thought-provoking. I really, really enjoyed the writing. I would agree with that. And what I found was, I think I mentioned this last time, but like the chapters are so short so, like, I could sit there and I could read, like, this short, really interesting chapter, and I wouldn't have to be like, okay, man, this is so, so dense, I need to take a break from this book. Like, I'd come to the end of a chapter naturally, and I'd be like, okay, mm -hmm. I can ponder that, I can look something up that confused me, 
like I could take breaks from it and I just thought it was well organized in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reading on the Kindle, you know, and you can have a, a thingy status saying like how many minutes it'll take to read a chapter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I just got to one where I was like eight minutes to read a chapter. I'm like, that's so long. <laughs> right, because all the chapters are so short. Yeah. Usually I'm used to like five minutes, three minutes. <laughs> like eight minutes <laughs> and it gave you a That's sense absurd. of accomplishment mm-hmm. you know you're like oh i finished another chapter even though yeah. i haven't moved any percentage points within <laughs> yeah. the book i finished a chapter exactly yeah but it was it was really really interesting and i knew i well i i don't want to say that i knew but i expected it to be kind of like this look at russian society so i would say like all the agriculture and the politics and setting up this whole like political history of Russia. Mm -hmm. I thought I was like super impressed by that because it's all in there along with all this very rich story and character, like Mm -hmm. character um, analysis. So it was really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's kind of get into that. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are really into the, political and historical background of this book. I'm probably going to focus a little more on the characters today. So if you guys want to get into that, you're always welcome to join our Goodreads page and tell me all about it. There's a lot to talk about for this book. So Exactly. There's no way we can cover everything. So Uh join in on the conversation. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the characters, though, and I'm going to stick kind of to that main plot device. And so I'm going to start with how do Anna and Vronsky's Romance. How does that parallel with Kitty and Levin's romance? Well, I, I mean, they're all very, they have strong emotions. They do <laughs> that, have strong emotions. Sure. Lots of emotions. Um, I would say, in a way, I guess Kitty and Levin in each set of relationships are kind of, they can be moody and jealous uh, for sure. But I feel like Kitty and Levin definitely had just in general better communication. And along with that, I feel like they were able to be vulnerable with each other, which led them to being able to have, you know, a happy and strong and good marriage. While Anna and Vronsky always seemed to be kind of hiding their feelings or kind of putting walls up between each other and just not really being really truthful with how they were feeling. And I think that was detrimental to their relationship. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think um, in that sense, like, it, it kind of makes me feel like, you know, Anna and Vronsky are almost like a younger couple in that sense. Like, you know, when you're younger, you kind of always want to hide things because boys won't understand and things like that. And like Kitty and Levin is like more, it's more mature relationship. And they get mad at each other and they yell and then they're like, well, I just meant this. Well, I just meant that. Well, okay then. And So why are we fighting? Yeah. (laughs) And they just kind of settle it. And I think it's such a more mature and more open relationship communication wise. But I definitely saw like parallels between those arguments, especially Kitty and Levin go up and down and Levin's mad one day and then he's not the next. And Anna and Vronsky are very similar in that, especially towards the end of the book, not to spoil anything for you, Susan. Oh, that's okay. I'm, I'm, 
I'm okay with being spoiled with this book. <laughs> I did watch the movie. I mean, it's nothing like the book, but I did watch the movie with Kira Knightley in it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I couldn't see any of those parallels in the movie, at least, because they really focused on Anna and Vronsky, and like Katie and Levin were just kind of a mention later on in the movie. Which is interesting. so interesting because mm-hmm. they're so clearly laid out against each other in the novel. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bunch of sto- uh, bunch of chapters in a row about Kitty and Levin, and then there's like a bunch of chapters in a row about Anna and Vronsky. Yeah, they mm-hmm. decided not to focus on that. <laughs> yeah, because you know they kind of the two romances kind of rise not exactly parallel with each other, but very close soon after. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so. And so speaking of those similarities, how are Anna and Levin specifically similar? Because we talked about, like, there's definitely the moodiness and the jealousy and all of that. And that's all coming from Anna and Levin. That doesn't happen with Kitty and Vronsky. They're cool. They're relaxed. (laughs) (laughs) So how are Anna and Levin similar? Um, Well, so far for me, um, because I'm just now getting to the Anna-Vronsky relationship, um, they both kind of just want to live and make decisions with their heart. Um, and not really, but what, what society says, like, oh, you have to do this. You have to do that. And it's like, no, I don't want to, this is how I feel. And I want to do this. Like Levin was going to ask Kitty to marry him. And then he realized that she didn't like him. She wanted Vronsky. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Make sure I remember correctly. No, you're, you're good. Um, and he's just like, oh well, I guess I'm not getting married then. You know. Well, <laughs> he, he did propose though. Yes. Yes. Um, um, yeah. But yeah. And then he was just like, well, my life is over. Uh huh. Like really. <laughs> I'm just gonna go back to the country and mm-hmm. be sad and. Yeah. Yeah. Go out and cut hay. Yeah. Like therapy. <laughs> it is so. therapy. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually liked that section yeah. with when yeah. he was out cutting the hay. Yeah. But it is a good point. Like, they just, like, Levin doesn't go, like, everybody tells Levin but that, you know, oh, okay, find another girl. And Levin's mm-hmm. like, no, there are no other girls. Right. There's only hay. Yep. And then Anna's all like, oh, I can't fall for you, but I'm totally falling for you. <laughs> you know? It's like, really? It's, you, you're married. Like, you, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, but she's just, it, I mean, it, it, they kind of gloss over the time period of when, like, Anna's, like, spurning Vronsky, where it's like, no, I'm not going to be around you because you're dangerous. Um, but then when she caves, she caves hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think it, it kind of started out as a, a fun little game, and then she really got caught up in it. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if I have a whole lot more to add. I mean, just obviously what we've been saying that they both have pretty strong feelings you know when it comes to jealousy and stuff like that and then obviously they they are both the characters that are contemplating suicide kind of at different times in the book yeah which was interesting um Vronsky contemplates suicide too. oh well that's true yeah but I guess his I don't know his seemed like a knee-jerk reaction while But maybe it's just because we weren't getting it from his perspective at the time. Uh, Sometimes it's kind of hard to say when you're not, like, in their head to really know what they're thinking. But we actually get to be in in Levin and Anna's heads when they're contemplating all of that throughout the book. That's true. But, yes, that is true. I keep forgetting about him shooting himself in the shoulder or whatever he did. Oh, man. Well... 
And he did, I, I will say that was very, very quick. And so I'll agree with you in the sense of knee-jerk reaction. Like, he's like, I'm going home. And you know what? I'm upset. I'm going to shoot myself. And then the next chapter, it was over. It was like, it's done. It's just people talking about how Alexei had tried to kill himself. Alexei Vronsky, that is. Because there are, in fact, two Alexis. There's Alexei Vronsky and Alexei Ker- Karenin. Right. And I think it's interesting that Tolstoy chose to give them both the same name. What other similarities did you find between the two of them? I was I was really thinking this question over, and I couldn't come up with a lot that they were similar. I mean, they're they're both you know aristocratic society members. You know, they're both pretty high up in society. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think. I don't know. Don't you feel like Anna liked Vronsky because he was so much different than her husband? Well, I kind of agree with that, but I think he only seemed different than her husband, which is what I think is so interesting. Um, Because they're both very careful and focused individuals. They're just focused on different things. Like, Karenin is very focused on his career, and he's very cautious and careful that everything is going to go right. And he wants to be very busy in that and wants to move forward and Vronsky I feel is the exact same way he's just focused on other things like primarily on Anna but also when the whole thing happened towards the end where he returned to Russia and started building a hospital like that was his entire focus then and he was very dedicated to it he was, yeah. I guess he was dedicated to that. I, I was thinking more at the beginning when he was an officer, and it seemed like he was like really didn't care. He was very laissez-faire about his job and his opportunities, and um, but I guess he does grow throughout the book. But in his so. own way, I think he was even like dedicated to that because he went and he did what all the other officers were doing, and he did what he was supposed to do. Like even that horse race, he's like, okay, I have this much time to go see Anna, and then I have this much time to go do this, and they have this much time to get to the horse race. Like, in a way, it's a very careful, um, organized way of laying out his life. Hmm. And I thought that was very interesting that um, Anna kind of picked somebody who was so organized, like the, her husband, whom she claimed she couldn't stand and was so cold. And then Alexei Vronsky is kind of the same way. Is like, well, I have to do all these things this way. And what ends up happening is towards the end, she starts getting mad at him. You're being so cold. You don't love me anymore. And it's like, well, this is who you picked twice. <laughs> I, can, I can see that. I mean, because I'm, I'm still like, in the beginning, like I only see differences. Like I don't see any similarities yet. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting point too. Like how did your opinion of Vronsky change throughout the book? Like, yeah, well, I guess we get more from Vronsky's perspective at the beginning of the book. And yeah, that's when he has, obviously he does, does grow throughout the book. I feel, Um, but yeah, he, kind of comes off as being really self-centered and kind of slimy in the beginning, you know, especially when he's, he just doesn't really seem to care that he's leading on Kitty and it's just like a fun game that he doesn't think anything of. And then obviously he starts really 
flirting and pursuing a married woman and you're like, why are you doing, you know, like what benefit are you giving yourself for all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he he definitely grows through the book. He I think he, he has to mature. He has to grow up, especially when Anna gets pregnant and, you know, he takes all of that on. And he does. I mean, he leaves his career. He leaves his life for Anna, uh, for, you know, his love and maybe his duty towards her. Um, I feel like in the end, it almost becomes more like he feels his duty more than the love. Um, right. And it's hard to say. I don't know if he became less slimy as the book went on just because we weren't getting it from his perspective anymore. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I agree with that because I kind of thought I th- I thought he was so predatory at first, you know, because mm-hmm. he like he's sitting there like leading on Kitty and laughing at Levin for you know not being able to get the girl, and then he goes straight from there to flirting with Anna and you know stalking her across Russia, and I'm like, this is so creepy, <laughs> and but then like tw- as the book goes. And again, it might, you're right, it might be because it's not from his perspective, but I do feel like he grows to be a more understandable character. Like, he's like, I'm, you know, despite the fact that Anna's going crazy and that she doesn't know what she wants at any given point in time, he's very much like, hey, you know what, let's go, let's travel, let's take the baby, let's come back, let's go, let's do whatever you want to do. And... I do kind of sympathize with him. I mean, I think some of the stuff that made her crazy was probably from probably his fault because he was hiding things from her. But I don't think he's as like smarmy and sketchy at by the end as I had originally thought. Like I think the only really smarmy character is Steva. But <laughs> I like him anyways. I don't know why. <laughs> Well, he gets away with it, with his charms. He can be smarmy, but he's still, yeah. Everybody loves him, even it's though true. he's really popular with everybody. With he's, everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that was, to go back to, like, similarities and differences, like, he and Anna kind of commit the same crime. And so, like, how are their situations, like, similar and different? Yeah, it was, I don't know. It was interesting that, yeah, the two siblings in the story are the ones that were both, you know, unfaithful to their spouses. And, and you know, caught. yeah, they, caught. they both got caught, but obviously the man gets off easier. Um, it's, I don't know, it's, and, and some of it could be, you know, because obviously Steve is a man and Anna's a woman and the societal, you know, rules that they're supposed to follow. But Steve just never seems to really take anything seriously, whether it's his infidelity or the fact that they're going broke or, you know, it's just like, he's just like, oh, it'll all work out. And, you know, I'm not too worried about it. And, and while Anna obviously was also unfaithful, she's a much more serious person in general. I think, you know, she really... She she took things to heart. You know, obviously she did she did cheat. She was unfaithful, but she didn't do it nonchalantly, I guess. Uh, it definitely took a toll on her. Yeah, well, I think Anna in general is more family-oriented than Steva is. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, she really wants her family to be happy and healthy and strong. 
And I think that's why it takes such a toll on her to have this affair. Um, But then what I think is really interesting is like when they get caught, because it's not the fact that they have the affair, I think, that gets Anna in trouble because they go to that one stupid party like at one point where like everybody's like so-and-so is having an affair and -and so-and-so is having an affair and all (laughs) of the people they were mentioning were women. And it's the fact that she lets herself get caught and then she decides to kind of like put posters up and is like, yeah, well, I don't care. Um, And so like, it's so interesting that finally in the end, like when they get caught, like Steve is like, oh man, I got caught. I'm going to get in trouble. And Anna's like, I got caught. Throw caution to the wind. Yeah. I'm going to just tell Karen what I think of him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She just kind of is like, I don't care anymore. I love Ronsky. I don't love you anymore. She does. Um, oh, but, my gosh. And that's so cold the way she does mm-hmm. it, too. Oh, I definitely. I mean, I think she kind of went overboard because she was so upset not knowing if Ronsky was dead or alive after the horse racing accident and Obviously, her emotions were really high when she just kind of exploded on uh, Karenin. But even then, Karenin lets her off the hook. He's like, he all right, well, just keep it hush-hush and don't let him come to the house. But you can <laughs> you were going to bring that up. I'm so glad you did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and they... she can't even do that. Oh, my gosh. Her husband is like, all right, well, all right, you're, you're having an affair and are okay. Um, just, you know, yeah, just don't let everyone know about it and don't be so obvious and don't let him come to the house. And she can't even do that. Well, do you yeah. sympathize with him? With Alexi oh, Karenin? Oh, yes. I really do. <sighs> I feel I really so do. bad for him. I, and I, I mean, I know one of the main reasons why he was kind of letting letting it continue was he didn't want to look bad in the eyes of society and that might be kind of cold but it's also the time that they lived in you know it's it 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 was going to affect his career it was going to affect his standing in society but good grief i mean he could have done a whole lot worse to her when he found out about it i don't know if it for that matter mentioned in the in the book but in the movie he was saying how like if a woman divorces because of infidelity, they can't ever marry again. Well, yeah, and there was right? so I read the um, I read the Barnes and Noble Classics edition of this, mm-hmm. which has pages and pages and pages of footnotes to it. So if you're gonna read this book out there, listeners, I would seriously suggest this one because it explains everything, and that was one of the things it explains is that. In order to divorce in Russia at this time, you had to prove infidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the person who was unfaithful would have been basically ruined oh, and sure. shunned. Yeah, right. And so what often would happen is if a couple wanted to kind of get rid of each other would be that one of them, and you, it would usually be the man, would have to take the blame and then they, uh, in order for them to get kind of a mutual divorce or something like that. Um, so that, that was sort of the explanation of why he didn't want to divorce her, because he would have just destroyed her. Right. I to, thought that was very nice of him. 
Yeah. Like, he was and giving he her an out. To, his son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to not completely ruin her life and still have Vronsky on the side. Right. Um, but she couldn't even do that. And I mean, right. I get that she wasn't happy with him, but it's also just the time that she lived in. And and she knew what was going to happen. I mean, good grief. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> if you yeah. can't tell. I, I, um, I, I do feel sympathy for him. I, I mean... Because he does, it, like, you're right. All she he says is, don't bring him to my house. And not only does she bring him to the house, but, like, she screws up and brings him to the house exactly as her husband is leaving. Just to, like, you know, and I know, yeah, she doesn't do it on purpose, but it's no, like, it just she, seems like she's I mean, just, like, just shoving it in his face. Up, and, then, yeah. and then you can't really blame Alexi after that either. He's like, well, I gave her an ultimatum, and if I don't follow through, then I look really weak. And yep. so she kind of pushes his hand yep. to to really, yeah. And, it, and then he still doesn't divorce her because he thinks she's going <laughs> to die. And it's, it gets so, like, kind of him because, yeah, that would have, you know, also ruined his son's life. And so he's like, okay, you know. I, I'll, I won't do anything. I don't know. It, it, I do feel bad for. I feel bad for her in many. Excuse me. I feel bad for her in many situations too. Um, especially more towards the end when we can see more from her perspective. But I really do feel bad for him, especially the fact that he's so he's so closed off emotionally. That he does care about her, and he does care about his son, and he cares about this little baby, and he can't express it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that yeah, that was the next point I was going to make as well, is he just has the hardest time expressing his emotions. Um, I know they mention it a few times in the book where he gets really uncomfortable when people cry around him because it makes him kind of want to cry, but he doesn't want to cry. And, you know, so obviously he has an issue with expressing his emotions. And so I think... I think he loves Anna and uh, his son and, you know, a lot more than he kind of shows. And that's why he comes off as being cold. But I really think he cares more than he can show. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the vibe I was getting for now. So. And then when she almost dies and he comes back to sit at her bedside and then when she doesn't (laughs) die, he still forgives her for everything. And it's like. I've turned a new leaf and I forgive you and whatever you want will do. If you want a divorce, if you want to stay married and keep Vronsky on the side, whatever exactly. you want. I, I love your, your, you know, the daughter that you had with your lover. I love her like my own child. I mean, good grief. Yeah. And you know, she, she can above get and beyond anything. Here. Yeah, she can get anything from him at that point. And then she chooses instead to take all the things that he's offering and runs away. Without any of them. Like, I just, that's the part where I was like, I don't understand your thought process here. <laughs> like, I don't know. How did you feel about that? Yeah. Made me angry. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I, she she, uh, she has not made the best decisions in life. No, it's just like she's digging her own grave here. I mean, dun dun dun, you know, <laughs> literally. Um, but it, I, I mean, I, mean, I know they said in the book where she was just, she was t- so taken back from, you know, from just the outpouring of love and forgiveness that he was showing, and it made her feel really bad. Well, she yeah. should feel bad. Yep. I yeah. mean, 
yeah, you should feel bad, but you don't have to just throw all of that in its face either. Like, well, don't don't leave with everything in limbo and just go, you know, traveling the world. Well, and the way they portray Anna, how she's supposed to be this passionate person and she just wants to be true to herself. Like, I get that. I kind of understand, like, okay, I feel ashamed, but I have to be true to myself. I have to run away. So I kind of get that. But then she returns, and I, okay, I understand she wants to see her son, but she's hurting everybody in the long term by not divorcing, not marrying Vronsky, not just staying in Italy or wherever they ended up traveling after Italy. It, and I, I guess my question is, is she deliberately torturing herself as a punishment? I think so. I, I think maybe she doesn't consciously know that's what she's doing, but I think subconsciously she doesn't feel like she deserves to be happy. Um, after everything she's done. That's a really selfish way to think. Yeah. Because, yeah, in the end, she's not... She ruins so many lives. Um, And and I'm trying to remember, because I know in the beginning, when when they were talking about divorce, he's like, well, yeah, we can divorce, but I'm keeping Serioza. And, of course, obviously, she wasn't okay with that. And, I, you know, I get that. But I... If I'm remembering correctly, after she gets sick and almost dies, doesn't he even say that she can take her son, too, in the divorce? I'm pretty sure remember. she does. I or mean, he does, yeah. You know, good grief. I just... But then she I, feels ashamed, too, that for, like, because she feels like, oh, I can't be a good mother to my son because look at all the terrible things I've done to my family. Yeah. I just, I really wish she had just taken, taken the olive branch, gotten the divorce, taken her son and then they could have lived abroad as a married couple and i mean unless they ran into people that knew them before no one would even know that she had been married before you know like there was Mm -hmm. nothing stopping them from kind of saying this is just our family and this is how the family's always been yeah um it's true i mean seriosa might have uh given them away but yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know um well, and we mentioned that, like, at the beginning of the book, we see more from Vronsky's perspective and very little from Anna's. And then towards the end of that book, that kind of reverses, and we see mostly from Anna's perspective and very little from Vronsky's. Now, what do you think there's this shift? Like, um, I mean, I know part of it was probably to show um, Anna's desperation and what drives her at the end. But then at the beginning, it's, it really interesting to me that the only time we really see from her perspective is when she's angry with her husband when he doesn't accuse her of cheating. When he's just <laughs> like, you know, it kind of looks like you're being flirty over there and you should kind of stop it because people are going to start talking. And then the other time is when she's um, she's crying because she's just slept with Vronsky. Mm. Like that's the only other time we get her perspective at the beginning of the novel. Um, I think it's important to see what Aunt Anna is feeling at the at that point. Then, because um, at Vronsky, you know, we know how he feels. <laughs> um, he doesn't really he doesn't really hide it, you know. Um, but I think you kind of needed to know Anna's perspective and what she's thinking and feeling in order to kind of see the decisions she's made. Um, like, you know, I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I feel like that's kind of where it would be going, especially because of all the decisions she's making. Like, this is why she made this decision, you know, because she was feeling like this and this is what happened. Um, 
Yeah, and I guess you're able to feel more sympathy for her when you can actually mm-hmm. see what's going on inside her head. Yeah. Um, and how everything's really affecting her and what, like, how how she has to pretty much take morphine to sleep at night. And, you know, I mean, it does. It gets really bad for her. And I, I, I feel bad for her, but... but it's also like, well, you kind of knew what was going to happen. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. Yeah. You know how society runs and you're going against the societal rules. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it definitely sets up to to kind of have a better idea of her actions at the end because we're in her head, you know? Yeah. No, it definitely does. Um. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting because I know, Meredith, you wanted us, and I'm, we're running out of time, so I'll just make a brief mention of this. But it's it, this was one of those novels that was originally written in segments. And so that was something that, you know, it would be really interesting. You start off one segment from one character's perspective, and then the next time you pull up a segment, you're reading somebody else's perspective. Yeah. And I was and like, I would... that, that's got to be hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to know how it was, yeah, segmented when it came out because it was like, what, it was published in a newspaper mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, and I don't know how often it was. I know they said at some point he took a super long break, like wasn't even sure he was going to finish the novel. Oh, so no. people probably <laughs> went, yeah, people probably went no, months and months. <laughs> but yeah, I have no idea where he left it hanging. But I just thought that was really interesting to be like, oh, wow. So you were just getting little bits and pieces in the newspaper every, I don't know, every week or every few days and then it went for like months without anything um but yeah like how mad would you be if you know you just got to this really juicy part and it's like you know you're waiting for the next segment and it comes out (laughs) and it's all about levin and his (laughs) his idea on the on farming and peasants (laughs) and he was a genius in that sense yeah (laughs) keep you reading but then you're like no i don't So yeah, I thought that I mean, was interesting. Yeah, I it, it definitely would have been interesting. It definitely would have been like, okay, let's check out Anna Karenina today. Is it like one of the good parts or is it one of the weird elections that don't matter? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like us watching TV shows, you know, and you're current. Yeah. And, and like you watch it and then you talk about it with all your friends. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's yep. the water cooler conversation of yep. the 19th century. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and as Jeanette so eloquently put it, come for the adultery and stay for the agricultural tips. <laughs> you learn a <Exactly>. lot. <laughs> you really do. All about the peasant structure after the, what, some sort of revolution and all kinds of fun things and, and cutting hay and, and all these machines. And well, that, I, I, I can't we're running out of time, but that was really interesting because... Things like the hay cutting scene, that was all real Tolstoy. Like, this is stuff he really experienced. That's where he got all of this. He was, that was him out there cutting the grass with the peasants. Levin is very much the Tolstoy stand-in. Which I find really interesting. I kind of wish I had known that as I was reading it, uh, Mm -hmm. because at the end of my Kindle edition, there was like an article that somebody had written about it, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it um, was, it's super yeah. interesting, and especially I don't, you're, I don't think you're there yet. Um, 
Susan, but this is something to look forward to. The scene where Levin proposes to Kitty mm-hmm. is exactly how Tolstoy proposed to his wife, Sophia. Aw. So yeah, when you really get sweet. there, it's cute. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, they glossed over that in the movie, too. Like, all of a sudden, they're married. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there's a, li- there's a cute little proposal scene, Aww, and yay. it is almost exactly the way it happened with Tolstoy and his wife. Ooh, good. Something to look uh, forward to. Yeah, so when you get there, you can, like, text me, and I'll tell you what my little footnote says about that. It's cute. <laughs> but, so, did you guys like it, or are you liking it? Susan? <laughs> yeah, so far I'm liking it. Um, like I said, the, the thank God the writing is good and simple. Um, so it just make, makes getting through it a little easier, you know, even though it is a dense book. So yeah, I do like it. Yes, I liked it as well. I'm glad to say that I've read it now. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, and it's, it's always nice to go back and kind of mull it over a little bit and then have our discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in this book. It was good. Is so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I agree. I loved it. I loved the writing. I thought it was super interesting. I wish I knew more about Russian history. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that would make it even more meaningful. But I know one of our members, Gabby, she is dying to tell me about how it affects Russian society. So I might wow. just have to have a sit down with her and have Definitely. her tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm so glad I can finally say that I've read it. And that leaves me with only like five more books that to read then I don't have to lie about I'm not going <laughs> to read the Fifty Shades trilogy guys oh, yeah. I got, put I, that out there I actually but have the rest read of that. <laughs> it's awful <laughs> um, so for next month on Eclectic Readers we're going to be reading the Rabbit Back Literature Society by and please forgive me if we have any Finnish listeners out there I did look this up if I still say it wrong you're welcome to tweet me um, but the author is Passy Ilamari Yaskalanen. I'm so, really excited for this book. It sounds yeah. really interesting. Yeah. It should be interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. I like reading books from other cultures, too. So yes. I'm kind of excited oh, about a finished book. So. Yeah. Should be cool. Yeah. But make sure that you check out our show notes for this episode, where we'll have the links to the articles and the books that we've been talking about. So that's Sunrise robot.net backslash eclectic readers backslash 13. Uh, and where can all of our readers find you, Susan? Uh, you can most definitely find me on Goodreads at Susan Lyons or the Eclectic Readers group page. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Rudy Kaicho, that's R-U-R-I underscore K-A-I-C-H-O-U and Google Plus. I um, link a lot of book-related articles on my Google Plus page. What about you, Jeanette? Well, you can find me on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash jmtrivera, or you can just find me off of our Goodreads page. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. That's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. And Meredith? And you can definitely find me at our Goodreads uh, page for Eclectic Readers, and then you can also friend me on Goodreads. It's uh, reading underscore gal. And I love that see. name. <laughs> I really do, too. Yeah, and can't yeah, find so, us on Goodreads, because yep. I know yeah. I haven't been active, but that was because of class. Yeah. But I'll be around now. <laughs> but please do. Yeah, I mean, there's so much we could still talk about for this book. Certainly. Yeah, there's so much. There's so many questions I didn't even get to. I'll put some of them up. Maybe you guys can come and Ooh, join. Yeah, that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. 
And of course, if you would love uh, to, we would love you if you would like to support us under uh, Patreon. So that's sunriserobot.net slash support. And special thanks to Benji Robinson and Carolyn Kraut for being Patreon supporters. Yay! Yay. You guys are awesome. <laughs> uh, please make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode of us because we know that you love to listen. And we love you for listening. It'd be the best hour of your life. <laughs> oh, yeah. How exactly. else would you find out about Russian agriculture exactly. if not for us? Exactly. Of course. <laughs> but yes, please rate and review us on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. Uh, we love to just talk to you guys, whether you know you leave a review or you talk to us through our Goodreads page. But I think that pretty much wraps it up this time, ladies. Great discussion. Yes. But I think it's time for us to shelve this until next month. All right. See you next month. Bye. Bye.